Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have some new vocabulary terms to yes. cover today. I'm excited these words are not, I do I've, not use on a regular basis, but I think I need to use them more frequently now. Um, we're going to get into a great conversation, taking a look at an article in the March issue of the Lutheran Witness in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. So hopefully you've had a chance to take a look at the March issue of the Lutheran Witness. If you page through about halfway through, yeah, it really is right at the halfway mark, uh, at least in the paper edition and the electronic edition, I'm, I'm guessing so too. Page 15, Fighting Acadia. I think that's how you pronounce it, but we're going to find out for sure. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Peach. He's a lecturer in pastoral theology at Australian Lutheran College in North Adelaide, Australia. Dr. Peach, thanks for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, taking time out of your early morning mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes, to, to join us to record for this. And so we were much appreciative of you accommodating our, our schedule. So Fighting Acadia, Tips for the Struggle Against Sloth is your article in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. I, I think we need to, first of all, define mm-hmm. Acadia because it's not a term that I use. Sarah, do you use Acadia frequently? Not usually, no. Okay, Mm-mm. I don't. I must be too lazy. So Dr. Peach, what is... Is Acadia. So Acadia, it's an historic term, of course. It's yes, it's not widely used in English, but it's interesting. It's it's coming back into our focus, particularly in Western Christianity. It, it's it's really from what you've heard. You guys have heard of the seven deadly sins. The, these seven deadly sins, you know, sloth, wrath, lust, pride, etc., etc. They made their way into into the Western ancient. Christian world from the more from the eastern side of Christianity, from the other side of the Mediterranean world. And there were before there were the, the the seven deadly sins, there were the eight deadly thoughts. And they really came over into a spirituality and into pastoral care from the eastern side of the of the ancient Christian world. And you know, just as we have the word sloth, you know, we think of that as one of the seven deadly sins. The word in Greek for that is akadia, and it, as as Jason Broughton and his and his uh, partner article to mine in Lutheran Witness has described very well, akadia is is more than sloth the way that we think of it today. You know, we think <clears throat> a person feels lazy; they just they just don't want to do anything. They don't want to. They resist their work. We have a bit of a shallow, simplistic idea of it, but Akadia digs down further into the human soul and into the human psyche and actually looks at what's going on there spiritually. And so what's going on there is, of course, that there are all kinds of mechanisms being worked in us spiritually to stop us from doing the things that God's placed in front of us. We are recreated as Christian human beings. We've been brought into God's kingdom. And you know that you know that beautiful verse in Ephesians where it says we're God's workmanship. We've been redeemed, we've been brought into the kingdom of God, and he's prepared good works for us to do ahead of time. Um, and God's called us into our vocations and our work 
and given us those things, not just for the good of the world and the good of our neighbour, not just so that things can get done, but also for our good and for our ongoing sanctified work. We're created for this work. We're created to work hand in glove with God um, through his creation and in all sorts of different ways. And Akadia is the way that that dynamic gets interrupted and disrupted in our daily lives. And it's a, a spiritual attack, I suppose you could call it. It's a spiritual attack from the evil one who, who wants to intrude and disrupt daily life's work with God. But it's also an attack on our, a very weak, sinful point in our own nature. We are resistant naturally in our flesh. We're resistant to the very things that we need to be doing and the very need, things that we need to be attending to. So that's a bit of a long answer, but I wanted to bring out this dynamic showing the not just the perhaps the the surface level reality of what Akadir or sloth is, but how it works in our lives. If I were suffering from this, what would some of the the symptoms be in my life that would that might be those red flags of of oh I need to I need to do something about this? So yeah, thanks for the good question, Sarah. That um, there's there's the way Akadia looks to you from the inside, which often is a bit different to the way it might look to other people from the outside. So from the inside, Akadia often feels like. Uh, procrastination, lack of motivation, and a sense that the things that you are meant to be doing actually don't matter and and that there's no point in putting effort into things because it's really it's really not important and it's and uh, interestingly is going to not bring you any sense of well-being or joy or uh, satisfaction to be doing the work God's given you to do. So it's a a loss of faith in your own work and in, in not just your professional vocation, what you do for a living, but in your household work, in your uh, commitments and tasks, in marriage and family and in family life. And so a loss of motivation procrastinating, I don't want to do it. And and also, I would say the other key thing is a sense of distract. One of the things I've noticed during the whole COVID lockdowns that we had here in Australia was the problem that at home I was distracted constantly from the work I needed to be doing by the refrigerator in the kitchen, which had nice things in it. And, and I was constantly drawn back there away from the work that was that God had placed in front of me. So distraction, our appetites, our desires, our sense of being settled into our work is is disrupted. Sometimes Akadia can become quite severe and it feels like well, a bit like despondency or depression. You get into a funk. You don't you don't want to deal with people you don't want to deal with your work. It just feels, everything feels uh, like you've got your legs caught in a swamp and you are trying to wade through this swamp. So that's the general, that's the general gist of it. 
In your article, you mention our, it describe our relationship to Acadia as it makes us both a, a victim and culprit. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? So, yeah. So thanks for that. That that's yeah, really sort of what I, touches on what I, I mentioned briefly earlier, and, and that is that it's it's the way in which you know the the world, our own flesh, and the evil one interact in this situation to try and undo us. So we are victims in a way of spiritual attack, and this is this is nothing. Nothing awfully spectacular, actually. It's it's just it's dreadfully common and dull that, that the devil's always picking away at us, trying to trying to take us away from God, and he he never relents in this this attack. And so we're victims on the one hand of that, but it's our own sinful flesh that is the problem, our own natural spiritual resistance to God that is also the problem. So. We're both victims and and culprits, and part of that, of course, is that we need to when we're when we're struggling with acadia or sloth, we need to attend to both those realities and and be aware of the fact that this is um part of the spiritual battle that we need to fight on both fronts. So then, what is a faithful and and proper response when we're feeling this acadia in our lives? Yeah, this sense of inertia and sloth and um, resistance to uh, the things God's put in front of us. How do we fight that? Well, well, the first thing to do is to name it and recognize what's going on. When, once you name something, you place it out there in the position of the object so you can look at it and say, this is what it is. And in that very act, it loses some of its power because you're aware of it and you're aware of what's going on. And so in Christian spiritual terms, confess it and say, Lord, this is my sin. I repent of it. I turn away from it. And so you place it out there between you and God and let God deal with that through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And this is, um, I think, one of the, this is, I think, one of the important dimensions of the Christian life as a life of daily repentance uh, and confession and forgiveness. It's our baptismal daily life in action here. Um, and so the first thing to do is, conf- is to confess confess it to your confessor, to your pastor, to your partner, or directly to God, and receive the forgiveness of sins that's promised to you in the name of Jesus Christ and understand in that forgiveness that God is dealing not only with the sins um, that you've confessed in the past, but with its power over your own life now. So that's the first thing. The second thing I just want to mention is is praying and praying one prayer in particular. I think that I'm personally of the of the mind as a, as a pastor and as a teacher that we can often get caught up in the idea that. A real prayer, prayer of our heart that's really sincere and really meaningful and so on, is a prayer which we have cobbled together inside ourselves, thinking that, you know, as good individualistic uh, modern Westerners, that we have to uh, actually make this happen ourselves. 
Whereas, in fact, we're part of a great communion of people who've struggled with sin and struggled with difficulty in life ahead of us. And we can lean on their prayers and learn the spiritual life of prayer from them. And so, of course, the prayer, the par excellence prayer, is the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And I think that this is a particularly good prayer for the, for the sufferer of Acadia. The first reason I think the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer to take up and use is that it comes readily to our lips. Christians learn the Lord's Prayer on their mother's laps. These words of the Lord's Prayer are part of us and they're part of the collective memory of the church and usually they're part of every every Orthodox Christian's memory and we can just pick them up and pray them and claim them and and say them out loud. And what's the reason that these are so good? Because the Lord's Prayer is a prayer which prays for God's right ordering of our life. It prays for the things that God is already doing and wants to keep doing and wants to keep deepening and strengthening in our lives. And so it puts God's priorities and God's um, order for life into action and prays for it. And as we pray, there's a really important dynamic here that I think sometimes has not been understood. In prayer, as God teaches us to pray, as God leads us into prayer, a re-education process going on in our spirit where God is teaching us to desire the very things he wishes to give. And so we, as we pray, we, we ask God for the very things that he's already doing and wants to, wants to keep doing and wants to deepen and strengthen in our lives. And so we pray for God's, God's kingdom to come to us. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else, all these other things you're distracted by, they'll come in their right time and in their right order. Just put God first. Just allow him to take charge and be the Lord of your life. He already is the Lord of your life and live in that. And so the Lord's Prayer forms us and teaches us into God's right order in our lives. And um, we could now launch into a little study of the Lord's Prayer on that level, but I better keep talking. Are you all right for me to go on to the next point here? Well, let's take a pause right here. Okay. And before we go on to more responses to Acadia, we're talking with the Reverend Dr. Stephen Peach. He's a lecturer in pastoral theology at Australian Lutheran College in North Adelaide, Australia, author of Fighting Acadia, Tips for the Struggle Against Sloth in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Reverend Dr. Stephen Peach. He's lecturer in pastoral theology at Australian Lutheran College in North Adelaide, Australia, and author of Fighting Acadia, Tips for the Struggle Against Sloth in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. Now, Dr. Peach, you've shared with us some uh, so far some really great responses to Acadia, Acadia being, a, 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 I guess, a fuller understanding of sloth, the, the, the sin of sloth. So you shared with us, you know, confession and forgiveness certainly being a, a very faithful and helpful response to Acadia, as well as pray, uh, prayer, and and particularly, you know, in that in the moment of, of experiencing Acadia, perhaps maybe even a bit of crisis going on, we don't have those clear words from ourselves. So praying what the Lord has already given us, his word, praying the Lord's prayer back to him. Now you have in your article some more responses to Acadia, faithful responses. Would you like to carry on with the rest of those? I think the next one is introduces a vocabulary word that was new to me <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> When you go into the uh, ancient um, spirituality and the ancient pastoral care of the church, you come across all sorts of new, all sorts of new vocabulary. And one thing that I learn as a pastoral theologian is to actually go back and learn from the wisdom of those ancient, those ancient uh, Christian guys and teachers, because they actually understood the human soul and the human experience very, very well, and they understood. Also, the spiritual nature of life in a deeper way. Us modern Westerners, victims of the Enlightenment, and these teachers from the ancient world, I think, often see things more clearly. One, the next, and this is one of the things I'm going to pick up now, is one of the things which which the ancient teachers, uh, Christian teachers, talk about when they when you are attacked by Acadia or, in fact, by any of the sins that come to us, is that we need to actually deal with the devil's end of this by by talking back to it. There's a, a beautiful word, Greek word, antiresis, which means opposing speech. The devil's niggling away at us, sowing thoughts in our minds, putting up in front of us distractions, putting in front of us our old sins, putting in front of us all of the things that um, are going to interrupt the very work that God's giving us to do the tasks that are going to be a blessing to our neighbour and to us. <clears throat> and we need to actually learn to recognise that and say to the devil, hey, get out of here, get lost, go away. I'm not buying that. I don't want it. Leave me alone. Get out of here. Of course, this is this is good Lutheran theology too. Luther did this a lot. If you read his uh, letters of spiritual counsel, for example, you'll see he's telling people this all the time to recognise the demonic, this demonic nagging that goes on in our lives and speak back, speak back to the devil out loud. Yes. And dare to say, you know, get out of here. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I haven't got time. Luther says in one of his letters, you need to say to the devil, um, uh, devil, is that the best you can do? Because if you've got nothing better than that, I haven't got time for you today. I'm busy with the work of God. <laughs> um, tell, tell the devil, to go away, anti-racist speaking, and part of this is recognizing the demonic, this what I call the mundane demonic dimension to the spiritual life is that there's this ongoing spiritual battle for our attention going on every moment of the day, and part of us fighting off this this uh, slough of um, despondency and and uh, distraction 
is for us to simply talk back to the devil. We don't owe him any deference or respect. He's our enemy and he's Christ's enemy and he isn't Lord of our lives. He didn't die for us. He didn't rise for us and we owe him nothing. So tell him, go away, get lost. So talking, this is something I think that we've sometimes been a bit maybe embarrassed about, but I noticed that in the great Christian tradition, this is actually one of the one of the really clear insights about um, the sanctified life in general, and it's a very important thing to fighting off the distractions and temptations of Akadia. So that would be one thing. Talking back, ready for me to go on? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So the last thing I would mention is the importance of mutual conversation and consolation. So that's that's taking up and and using the opportunities for the mutual encouragement of other people. I um, live and work and teach in a Christian community, our seminary, Australian Lutheran College, and one of the key times over the 14 years I've been teaching there, one of the key times in our day is morning chapel and the morning tea afterwards where we gather and and draw encouragement and strength from each other. Christian fellowship, mutual conversation and consolation. That's what's going on as we sing and pray and hear the word of God together each day. But it's also part of of what we draw from each other in that time of fellowship. And it's interesting that asking each other and, and, and saying to each other, what's on your agenda for today, you know, and um, talking about the work that God's given each of us to do, because this work that he's given us to do is a gift. And we celebrate that gift together and encourage each other in our work. And I think that that's really important. When we, when we do that, we, we see our neighbour who is the recipient of our work, and we are reassured and strengthened in what God tells us, that our neighbour needs our good works, and we do our good in a way which will bless them. And, and so when we see our neighbour, we see our good works at work, and, and that actually builds up on the, on, the, on the credit side our motivation and our strength for the work we do in our daily lives. The next thing, of course, is something, again, from the ancient world, something that has gone out of our repertoire of spiritual practices and disciplines in Western Christianity is fasting. And this is something, I think, which is a bit of an untapped source of strength for us Christians. Akadir is, among other things, a loss of holy appetite a distaste for the things God's given to us and given us to do. And, you know, you've heard people say, look, I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of my work. I'm sick of doing things which don't seem to get results that I can see and that I can value and I can assess there. You know, I can take that up on my list of good works. And I think that we get sick of things quickly when we can't see the results we're looking for. And so we lose our appetite for God's good things. And this is one of the, the things that happens with Arcadia over time, is that you lose your appetite, not only for the work that God has placed in front of you, but you 
can even lose your appetite for God's word and God's good things, the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ, and and your appetite for the company and encouragement of other Christians. And so one of the things that really can help is, is fasting, I believe. It's the ancient Christian practice that works on us spiritually via our bodily appetites. Um, good dualistic children of the Enlightenment, we, we tend to separate the body and the spirit. And we say, all right, well, you've got the spiritual realm, you have to deal with that spiritually. You've got the bodily realm, you have to deal with that in a physical way. But actually, the two things are deeply integrated and you have to deal with them together. And in fact, one of the things that happens in fasting is that you deal with your, you're dealing with spiritual things using the physical realm, your body and its appetites. Uh, and once you actually bring those into focus and you exercise your godly spiritual control over those, spiritual things happen in your soul, in your, in your mind, in your heart. So fasting interrupts that cycle of, of desire and gratification and it allows God's reordering, his godly reordering. That's what we've been praying for in the Lord's Prayer to come into your life. God's put first, other things are put second. So, yeah, remember when Jesus is in the desert and he says, he says to the devil, man doesn't live by bread alone. Okay, the physical, he lives by the spiritual too. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's what we need. And fasting helps us recalibrate that order in a way which interrupts the cycle that we tend to live in as Westerners where, you know, we eat and drink and we do all of the things that make us feel good physically. Um, well, those things have their place and putting them in their place often allows God's right ordering is is his healthy ordering in our lives to take shape. So that's fasting. The last thing. Just about a minute for our last topic. Yeah, just about a minute. For okay. Oh, right. uh, yeah. This is what happens when you let a preacher loose. All right. So, <laughs> so the last thing, and I'll just mention it very quickly, is studying of God's word. And I don't just mean reading three verses, you know, or in your reading your daily devotion but actually sitting down with the Word of God and reading larger, longer sections. When we study the God, Word of God, God himself is fighting off the infection of Akadia, speaking into us his life-giving Word. So really, that's very simple. I don't need to say more than that, really. So yeah, read Lutheran Witness if you want to fight off Akadia. There's much more that could be said here. I'm going to be coming to the US in July and I'm, I'm going to be speaking at a doxology conference in Wichita and I'll be talking more about Acadia at that event. And yeah, ask me on Lutheran Radio again. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting Acadia tips for the struggle against sloth in the March issue of the Lutheran Witness. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Peach, who's a lecturer in pastoral theology at Australian Lutheran College in North Adelaide, Australia. Dr. Peach, thanks so much for being our guest on the coffee hour today right pleasure thank you so much you've been listening to the coffee hour i'm andy bates i'm sarah Golseth.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.